It's Kendrick Oakley here with Real Life Church, and this is our weekly podcast. Hey, enjoy this word. A particular theme or focus uh, that we have for this for this focus this year. And um, let me talk about the theme just for a moment beyond Sunday. It's a passion in my heart. Uh, when we say that, what we're talking about is, is transitioning from going to church on Sunday to being the church beyond Sunday. I, I, I like these moments, but we have to put Sunday in proper perspective of, again, that these moments are, are, should be almost like a locker room moment. It should be a moment where people encounter Jesus. Uh, it should be a moment where we receive some instruction and some motivation. But church actually doesn't happen here. This is where the church gathers to worship him. But church happens during the week. If you read the the book of Acts, church was happening every day of the week. That was the church, that they were in the world, they were being the light, and they were seeing transformation in their city. That's church. And so we, um, we're wanting to break cultural and religious barriers to express kingdom life beyond Sunday. I have a feeling, just a small one right now, but it, it has the potential to grow, that I think things could potentially get a little radical this year because I think that we're going to have to do some strategic things to to shift our whole paradigm of Christianity. When we say beyond Sunday, we're not just talking about a day of the week. We're talking about an entire Western church culture that has revolved everything around a Sunday worship experience. And, and let me go further to say uh, an entire paradigm that has reduced Christianity to a Sunday worship experience. The entire book of Acts and all that they did in the book of Acts, we've taken all of that and, and just reduced Christianity to showing up one day and being together for two hours one day a week. So there's this massive shift that we have to go on. The words... I'm a Christian. Let's start there. We're going to visit a few places today, but the words, I am a Christian, what does that mean anymore? When one says, I am a Christian, what does that mean? I think we have to go way to the foundations of this. Here's the first problem. Y'all know I like to start with problems, and we will work our way to the answers. The first problem is that we've created multiple layers of Christianity. We've created categories. We have like Sunday morning Christians. We have like disciples, and those are different, right? You have like Sunday morning Christians, and you have disciples, and we even use that language of of articulating that, that we have, you know, those who are on fire for Jesus, and then those who kind of just come on Sunday morning, and then you have like holiday Christians, and those are those uh, who are Christians, but they come like on Easter, and, and pretty much like that, and, and then maybe Christmas, and then, and then you have like, you have all these categories of, of Christianity, all these layers of Christianity, and you have those who really are like doing this thing for real, and then those who, do, and then you have like those who just kind of believe, and maybe they went to church with grandma, but they're Christian too, and it's kind of confusing, because when I read the scriptures, there was only one. In fact, we need to talk about the word Christian, because Jesus never used it. He used the word disciple. He used the word follower. 
the word Christian only shows up three times in Scripture, and it was never by the church. It was by the outside looking into the church. It doesn't pop up into Acts 11, and they didn't know what to call these people because they thought they killed Jesus, but now Jesus is everywhere. So they termed this name Christian, and what they meant were these are the group of people that are against our Roman culture, and they follow the one we killed named Jesus. After that, it only appears two times. But I think the first problem that we have in the American church is we've created so many different layers. You just pick one, just pick one. Just, just What type of Christian do you want to be? There is one call. Jesus put it plainly like this. He said, if anyone desire to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For if you desire to find your life, you will lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Jesus had a very strong articulation. In fact, he would tell people, count the cost before you make a decision. He said, you don't want to start this thing and not have what it takes to finish. I mean, he, he was not trying to convince anyone to follow him. They would say, Jesus, allow us to bury our father first. And, and, and let's put that in perspective. The, the father hadn't died yet. What he was saying, let, let me spend these last years with my dad until he dies, and then I'll come follow you. And Jesus says things like, let the dead bury the dead. Jesus, let me follow you. Are you sure? Because I don't actually have a home like foxes do and bird, but I don't. Are you sure you want to do this? He comes to one man and the man asks him a question. He said, what can I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And he says, um, take all of your possessions, sell them and give it away to the pure, poor. And the man walked away grieved. And Jesus was like, anyways, Peter, what were you saying? He didn't say, wait, wait, brother. Just come on Easter, man. Is this okay? This is just going to be one of those Sundays. Let me just let you know. So next week, we're going to recover. We're going to be okay. But this week, we got to deal with some stuff. People leave because he's saying, like, like if you want eternal life, you're going to have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. People didn't like that. They left. They walked away. Jesus wasn't like, wait, 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 wait. What did he say? He looked at his disciples, his apostles, and he said, uh, since the door is open, do any of you want to leave by chance? Do you want to go? This is Jesus. This is the one we worship. I don't know if it's the one we worship. We have an image of what we want him to be, but, but he was a, a very radical individual. He would not be liked in many of our churches in Western culture. He would not be invited back. Let me, can I say this? Because we worship Jesus, but he's up there. But if he was in flesh, I think the American church would probably hate him. We, we would not be able to stand Jesus. He's the same Jesus that comes into the temple and he's just watching everybody. Meanwhile, he's making a whip. I mean, this is Bible, I'm not, and then he goes, and the Bible says that he starts flipping tables over. He begins to bring disorder to what they call order so that his true order can come in. He flips tables over, and he says that this shall be a house of prayer, and you've made it. I think if Jesus was in the flesh, he'd come into our churches, and we wouldn't like him because he would put the house in order. I think if Jesus actually comes into our home, because here's what I've learned. When he came into my home, everything got flipped upside down. That whole flipping the tables upside down thing is real. Like, he does that for real. Like, he for real does that. He came in our house and flipped every table 
upside down, and it actually seems like chaos, but chaos precedes order because the season of chaos is basically him bringing chaos to your order so that he can bring his order. And he says, no, 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 that doesn't go there. Let me flip it. That's out of order. Let me flip it. You still love your kids more than me. Let me flip that. You're still worshiping your husband, and you think that it's in him that you have your identity. So let, let me allow him to fail you about five more times so that you can learn that I am the only one who is perfect. Come on, somebody. He begins to flip some things and put some things in order in our life. But what I was saying, I went on the rant just to make a point, was this. There's one call. We are all called to the same level of loyalty. We are all called to the same level of commitment. We are all called to the same level of worship. We are all called to the same level of righteousness. We are all called to the same level of self-denial. If you're a believer, you don't get to make the decision of when you want to deny yourself and when you do. There's one call. Is this okay? Please come back next week. Just, just come back, okay? This is not an every week thing. It, it, it's sad that I feel like that, that in America I really get scared when I preach truth. Because I feel like we're in a midst of a generation who wants you to tell them what they want to hear. And I walk away grieved many times. I think, Lord, that's so heavy. And he said, that's Bible. All you did was preach. Now, let's talk about this. We're going to go somewhere. That was, that was just a foundation. That was the problem. Remember, we just had to talk about a problem. Now we're going to get into some good stuff. Amen. Let's talk about this. If you're taking notes, the fruit of a disciple. Now, we're going to use the word disciple. You know that when I use that, I'm talking about Christian, but we have mixed understandings of what that is, and we've differentiated it, but I want us to know there's one call, and that is to be a disciple, okay? A follower of Jesus, okay? So we're talking about that, meaning we're all in the same category. We're all disciples. We're all in the same box. There's not different degrees of calling. There's not, uh, I can, no, 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 there's one call to follow Jesus. He made that very clear. But now let's talk about the fruit. If you're in your Bibles, you have them on your phone or you're in your hand, go to John chapter 15. We're going to break this down and dissect this. And I believe if you journey with us, we're going to grow together today. John chapter 15. One of my favorite passages of all time. John chapter 15, the gospel of John chapter 15, and, and we're going to begin reading in verse 1. I'm reading out of the English Standard Version, if you have the option to switch that on your phone. Doesn't that sound good? The flipping of pages? I mean, it's the simple things that we have to get back to in the church in order to grow. That sounded amazing. That was the best part of the service, in my opinion. <laughs> because the reality is, if we worship and dance, but don't do that, it was just emotion, and we don't actually grow. That was beautiful. Okay, John chapter 15, are you ready? Jesus says this, I am the vine, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine grower. The vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. 
I want you to even count the word fruit, because he's going to talk about it a lot. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes in order for it to bear more fruit. What we, a lot of times, attribute to the devil is actually a pruning process. Because pruning doesn't feel good, but we have this bad understanding of good and bad, and we think everything that's bad is the devil and everything good is God, but we are taking our own understanding with that because it pleased the Father to crush the Son. That did not feel good, but it was good. Heaven's perspective of good is much different, so he takes the fruit, the branches that are bearing fruit, and he prunes them. In other words, he, he continues to cut away things that would hinder us. He, he continues to take us through a pruning season. And when we submit to it, what happens is the result of that pruning season is we always produce more fruit. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in them, he it is that bears much fruit. Everybody say much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And that, of course, means nothing of eternal value. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. So that's the reading of Scripture. His word has to abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Verse 8 By this, listen to this verse, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in me, abide in my love. If, listen to this, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse 11, these things I have spoken to you, why? That my joy may be in you. Yeah, for those who need more joy in, in, the, in the room, there is, there is a pathway to joy. And that your joy may be Full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. Amen. Listen to this you did not choose me. But I chose you, yes, indeed. and I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit would, everybody say, remain. remain. What is this passage about? I know a lot of times we make this about abiding in Jesus. There's, there's a lot to say about abiding in Jesus, but that is not the primary focus. That is In other words, he's saying that is what's going to be necessary. But the primary focus of this passage of Scripture is the bearing of fruit out of the life of a disciple. It is a commission to go and produce fruit. And he's saying abiding in me is going to be the necessary component in order for you to do this. But it is, I want us to look at verse 8. It says, by this my Father is glorified. He's glorified how? That we would go and produce or bear fruit and prove to be his followers. And then verse 16, you did not choose me, I chose you, okay? 
that speaks of intimacy. I told you one of, one of the weeks that we've been talking about that, that he calls us near and he sends us far. He calls us to come near and he commissions us to go out and go far. It's this simultaneous call. So he's saying, I chose you, intimacy, I chose you to be mine, to belong to me, to come close to me, to walk with me, to love me. And then he says, and I appointed you. If they were the same word, he would have just used one. But he, he differentiates. The word and lets us know these are two separate things. He chose us and he appointed us. Now, appointing us has a lot to do with responsibility. I chose you to be mine and I appointed you to go and bear fruit that your fruit would remain. From Genesis chapter 1, we see that fruitfulness is God's primary purpose in creation. He creates the earth. He creates animals. He creates trees and plants, and, and the Bible makes it clear that he created everything with the ability to reproduce after its own kind, right? He creates man. Man is the same way. He tells man, be fruitful and multiply. In other words, from the very beginning, we see his purpose in creation was this, this, this aspect of producing fruit, of multiplication. Adam and Eve were created in his image, and he's saying, multiply my image in the earth. Now, here's the main conversation that we have to go today, is we have to determine what is the fruit of a Christian. You, if you're taking notes, write that question down. What is the fruit of a Christian? Well, the fruit of anything is it produces after its kind. So the fruit of an apple seed is more apples. The fruit of a pumpkin seed is more pumpkins. So very clearly, I want to state to you, the fruit of a Christian is another Christian. Are you with me? The fruit of a Christian is another Christian. Why do we have to have this conversation? Because statistics say that about 95% of believers have never won anyone to Jesus. In, in fact, what we claim to be church growth, I think, is, is just transitions. We're kind of just passing Christians around. Amen? Amen. Come on. Come on. I told you the statistics of how many people in Oklahoma, there's like 60% that are unchurched who don't know Jesus. And it's not actually growing. The fruit of an apple is more apples. The fruit of a pumpkin is more pumpkins. Therefore, the fruit of a disciple is more disciples. I want to make something clear. On the screen, there's two categories. One is the Holy Spirit, and the other side is the Christian. And I want to clarify this because I think that what we do a lot of times is we think that our fruit is actually the Holy Spirit's fruit. Because we have to ask, how fruitful are we being as believers and as a church, real life and then universally, particularly in America? How fruitful are we being? And, and we can begin to argue and say, well, man, I, I mean, there's fruit in my life. I'm seeing fruit in my life. I used to cuss and I don't anymore. You know what? That's amazing. But that's the fruit of the Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, and he produces fruit in your life. That is his fruit, not yours. Come on, somebody. Don't take credit for something that is not yours, that is not your fruit. 
You say, well, there's fruit in my life because, man, I'm, I'm being transformed and, and I love my wife more and, and our marriage and our home. That's amazing, but that isn't your fruit. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit who is on the inside of you. He is working on the inside of you. So here's what I want to let you know. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is transformation. Now, if, if, we're, if we're writing this down and we can think of all the things, my healing, I used to be crazy. I'm not crazy no more. I used to be, you know, we could just go, we can just build this list. But if we're, not, if we're not seeing this, then we think we're actually producing fruit. Now, let me pause and say this. All progress in Christ is fruitful. Are you seeing what I'm saying? This isn't the takeaway. That's necessary. Healing comes before the commissioning. We're, our mission is to raise up whole people for the whole world. We don't want to send you broken. We want you to come, and we want the Lord to heal you, to set you free. Because how can we set anybody free if you could imagine in this house right here, if all of us are chained and I'm chained too, ain't nobody getting free. Come on, somebody. The only way that I can set you free is if I loosen my ropes, then I am able to go to each one of you and set you free. I can set you free. Now you can set somebody free. So freedom comes first. This is not a dispute. I'm not saying this is either or. All progress in Christ is fruitful. But I do want us to honor the Holy Spirit that the majority of what we would claim as fruitfulness in our lives is actually the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. Why? Because you have no power within yourself to change anything about you. There's nothing you can do. We were spiritually not just in a coma. Come on, y'all got to catch dead. This is a work of the Spirit. A dead thing can't make a decision to come back to life. That's what he's saying. I chose you. I made you alive. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. And so there's this long list, and we should, we should build this list. We should be aware of the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives because God is changing us. He's transforming us. I love seeing the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But then what do we put over here? If all of that was what the Holy Spirit was doing in me. This is pretty, pretty empty. Why am I saying this to you? Because when we see Jesus together, you have to partner with him in this. You said yes. That's a big deal. He's going to honor you for that. But that's not what he's talking about in John 15. I'm stressing this, and it's on my heart, because stand up for a second, Kirk. Come up here. When I look behind the majority of Christians, there's no one else behind them. Just come right here. Let me get this whole second row. Face that way. So... Ignore them for a second. I don't want anyone to get to heaven like this. 
Because do you know how many people need Jesus? And you lived 50 years with them? It's amazing to me that we can be saved for five and 10 years and our life has not inspired anyone else to follow Jesus. We're in this together. I'm talking to myself too. This isn't me on a stage talking at you. I'm, the Lord is talking to all of us. I'm just as convicted. What is the fruit of a Christian? Well, it looks like this. It's Kirk's life has inspired someone else to follow Jesus. This is one who was spiritually dead and going to spend eternity away from the Father. That's reality. But because God created Kirk, he placed Kirk in a garden called his work, his school, wherever his influence is. And Kirk's life is called to influence someone else. And, and then, so maybe there's, there's two people in his life that, that might not seem like a big deal. But, but if, we, if we follow Jesus' method, all of a sudden, Rihanna, in her life, has inspired someone to follow Jesus. Can I get the, the next row? No, no, Curtis didn't win you to Jesus. Rihanna won you to Jesus. That might not even seem like a big deal, but now Felice, in her life, has inspired people to live for Jesus. Joe has inspired people to live for Jesus. Curtis is still in healing. He's still, the Lord's still working on Curtis, okay? He's still in 101 and 201. God is faithful, amen? So eventually he makes his way through there and he gets his stuff together. And now, do y'all see this? We, we could do this with the whole church. Now what seemed to be small, just because Kirk decided to go to work, not as a regular employee, but as an ambassador for a kingdom, sit on an assignment. He can't afford to have attitudes on Monday morning. Because it affects his witness. So now when he tries to proclaim the gospel, it doesn't fit his life. How many people are hindered from coming into the kingdom because of a Monday attitude? Are y'all with me? Come on, that's so good. We've, we've arrived at a place in Christianity where we've made this about us. That is a big problem. I don't care what your waitress does. You are not in the earth for a good meal and good service. Come on, somebody. We just got to deal with this. God placed you here to deny yourself. This is not your home. If you are looking for happiness on this side of heaven, you are missing the entire purpose of why you exist. As a believer, get your attitude together. And I don't care how bad the service is, that is an opportunity to shine the light of Jesus. Because as your tortillas were cold, somebody's soul was on the line. I wish somebody would come with me today. Now, Kirk, when you see Jesus... It's not just going to be about Rihanna and Curtis. I think he's going to show you everyone else. Yes. 
from the multiplying effect. I just wish I would have won Billy Graham to the Lord. That's all. I could have just died and went to heaven right there. Just, it would have all been in my bank account up there. Just would have got all the credit for it. But somebody had to win Billy Graham. To, y'all got to catch this. This is a big deal. Thank you guys so much. I just wanted to give a picture. Now, if 50 of us in 2020, if we begin to, to win people to Jesus, say 50 of us, say one person a month, we're sharing the gospel. 50, guess what? That's 600 people. By the end of this year, and there's 20,000 in Claremore. Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I, I read that the other day and I'm thinking, wait a minute, what in the heck am I doing? That was his purpose, was not to encourage you and to keep you here in a building. His mission was to make those who follow him fishers of men. I say, am I, am I making fishers of men? I, I want to. I want to teach you how to be the light for Christ in your sphere of influence, how to produce fruit. Because if there's, if there's no one that is coming to Jesus through the inspiration of our life, we haven't actually produced fruit yet. I'm not saying things are unnecessary. Continue to go to groups and continue to serve on a team. That's making a difference because as a body, we're leading people to Jesus. Yeah. People come in here and they give their life to Jesus. I need you to know that if you're serving and you were the one that greeted them and you're the one that served their children, there's something for you in heaven. That is a big deal. But I also want to activate you in your own life with a passion to go out and to share the gospel. Can you write this? The second point, kingdom ambassadors. That is the call that we are called to be kingdom ambassadors. If we understand the kingdom, what we've been talking about, there's the difference between a kingdom and religion. Jesus did not come to start a religion. He came to establish a kingdom. And in fact, it was never Jesus versus sinners. It was always Jesus versus religion. He came to establish a kingdom. Everything he uses is kingdom language. Even when he says, on this rock I will build my church. He doesn't use the word church. He used the word ecclesia. That was not a religious word because the church did not exist yet. There was no church yet. So he says, on this rock I will build my ecclesia. And none of them ask, what is that? Because they already knew because it was a governmental word that represented the ecclesia was a body of people that represented the government and carried out the, wor the works and the will of the king. So, so he's saying, you see Rome's ecclesia, you see the Greek, but I, on this rock, I'm going to build my ecclesia. And they begin to understand, wait a minute, this isn't a religious leader. This isn't just a rabbi. This is a king. And he's coming to establish a kingdom, and he's raising up kingdom ambassadors. Can I give you the word, uh, the definition for ambassador? The definition is this, a diplomatic office of the highest rank That's right. sent by a kingdom. Yeah, this is Webster to represent that kingdom on a temporary mission. This is a biblical word. Paul uses this word. A diplomatic office of the highest rank. Can we pause and just say this? In this earthly realm, as a believer, you have the highest authority. Yeah. Yes, 
Spiritual authority is higher than positional authority. Spiritual authority is a more powerful authority than even the government itself. There are things that our nation is waiting for the White House to fix that they do not have the authority to fix. It's going to come by means of the body of Christ. Why? Because Jesus said, this is why this is important, this understanding of authority. When he came to his disciples before he ascended, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. So we need to have an understanding of the authority that you walk in. The authority that you have as a believer is the highest authority. Nothing else in all of this earth has a higher authority than the believer that is submitted to Jesus. Why? Because you have his authority. The same authority that Jesus has on the throne, you have as a believer. God has sent you as a diplomatic office of the highest rank, sent by a kingdom to represent it on a temporary mission. My life here on earth is a temporary mission. And I always get this image as if our king would call us on the phone and say, hey, how's the mission going? He said, oh, like, I, I bought the house? Is that what you're, I mean, things are going good. I finally like the people at my job. My marriage is at the best it's ever been. We're going to our 33rd healing retreat this weekend. So amazing. <laughs> Him saying, great, that's amazing, but how's the mission going? And I just feel like for many of us in America, we'd be like, what mission are you speaking of? Because in our sending, in the commission of our assignment on earth from a kingdom to the earth for a purpose, we have forgotten why we're here in the first place. I, I see this image of an entire kingdom of representatives that have completely forgotten why we are in the earth. I'm going to read this for you. It might be on the screen. I put some in there and I, I don't put some in there. It's not in there. But you can write it down though. 2 Corinthians 5. I want to read it for you. It says... This is 5, 13 through 21. If we are out of our minds, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right minds, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us. His love should be compelling us because we are convinced that one died for all. When you go into a wet restaurant today, I want you to go in with his love compelling you and look around that room and say, wait a minute, Jesus died for everybody in this room. I'm kind of selfishly holding his blood for myself because I ask for forgiveness every day. Are y'all with me? Lord, forgive me again. Oh, Lord, I messed up. Forgive me again. We're just swimming in his blood. Just hallelujah. Just gotta, we, the church is just a big old pool party in the blood of Jesus. We, just, we are forgiven, but we have to get this revelation that when we go into the world, his blood is not just for us. It is enough for every person that is breathing past, present, and future. It's enough for every baby in the womb. It's enough if you line up Adam until the end of time to cleanse the sin of the entire world. That's some powerful blood. If we saved, if we preached the gospel in this entire city, said, I want to be forgiven, do you know his blood is enough? There's enough. 
This is what he says. We're convinced that one died for all. Yes, Susan, that you get annoyed uh, about it on Monday mornings. Yes, yes, all Jesus' blood is enough for all of them. And he, and he says, and he died for all that, who, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. I wish I could preach on that. That's going to help your perspective at work. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the, old, the, the new has come. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God was making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Wow. I want to take that passage and give you your next point. Every member, a minister. This is another paradigm that has to shift. Every member is a minister. So with that, how many ministers do we have? If you're a minister, just raise your hand. Every member of the body of Christ. I know that feels weird for some of you even doing that. Can we do it again? Raise your hand if you're a minister. You're going to get comfortable with it. See, because here's the vision. Here's the vision I want. I want people to come in here with a religious mindset and say, hey, where's your minister at? And the whole church raise their hands. And we would have to clarify. Now, we have a lead pastor, but we got a whole church filled with ministers. The lead pastor, all he does is he equips us in our ministry. So who are you looking for? Because that is the reality of the church that Jesus died for. You are a minister. In fact, the Bible says that you are a priest. You're a holy nation. You have a ministry. And it is your ministry. And the only reason why Elizabeth and I exist is to equip you for your ministry. This is not about my ministry. My ministry, you ask me what my ministry is. Come on, ask me. My ministry is to help you with your ministry. That's it. It's to equip you in your ministry. Can I tell you, here's the ministry for all believers. Two points. Share the gospel. Number two, make disciples. Can I give you a warning? When you see Jesus, he's going to ask you about that. I promise. Because why? It's your ministry. You are a branch that is producing fruit. What is our ministry? Share the gospel. Now, we do that in our own unique ways, in our own unique spheres of influence, in our own unique gifts. We're all going to do that differently. I do it out of my gifts, out of my personality, out of what God has given me. But God has given you some things that he has not given me. In fact, he's given you a sphere of influence that I am not in. There are people, when I see Jesus, he is not going to ask me about. He's not going to ask me about Susan at your job. He's not. He'll ask you because that is where he placed you and that is your assignment in the earth. Our ministry is share the gospel to make disciples. 
Let's talk about sharing the gospel. Here's step one, intentionally representing Jesus. That's where it begins. This is, this is where, this is where we, we've been called to be conformed. This is what Paul says, that our destiny is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. Right. So many people, so many Christians are looking for their destiny. Here it is, to look like Jesus. And you don't have to do that in your own effort. He gave you the Holy Spirit that's going to cause you more and more day after day. Just stick around. Just walk this out. He's going to cause you by his power. He's going to cause you to look like Jesus. And then all he wants you to do is just show up and literally be Jesus where God has placed you. You have an assignment not just to get a paycheck from your job. You have an assignment to look like and be Jesus there. The assignment is not, is not to live reckless and then just send them a church invite. Many of them will never make it here. Are y'all with me? Yeah. But they don't have to get here to get to him. Because this is just a building. The church is a people and we're sent everywhere. And we have to break that paradigm of we got to get people in this building. This is the building. You are the church. Sundays are great, but I think Sundays are less impactful because Christians are in little bubbles all across the nation. Monday, in my opinion, is the most powerful day of the week because we leave the bubble and God sends Christians into every single business, into every single school. The church has now invaded every building. Now, what if we actually did our mission? What could we do in seven days? How many Christians gathered to worship today? Thousands upon thousands. And tomorrow morning, the church is going to be in every building. The church is in this building right now. But tomorrow, I wish we had time to just name out the buildings we're going to be at. Some of you would name your school. Some of you would name your workplace. And the church is now invading all of those places. What happens when we activate the church to be the church? Are y'all seeing this? But yet, we go out as the church and we're not being the church and we just live our life and we're focused on our own lives and we're just going through the motions and we're just complaining about our assignment. Come on, somebody. If your job is about you, you're going to find something to complain about. But if it's about him and his glory, what, do, what is there to complain about? If, you, if we see that he's saying, I've placed you there. I know you don't like it. I know that it's hard at times, but I'm the one who ordained this. And I'm able to do two things. I'm able to provide for you. Don't complain about that. And at the same time, use you as an ambassador in that place that God so loved your workplace that he send it you. But week after week, we just come back. And we do this. Sorry, y'all know I'm crazy. I love worship. But we're going to worship better up there. Come on, somebody. We're going to be around the throne. I know I'm going to have some vocals in heaven. I don't got them on this side. But they're waiting for me on that side. I'm going to do solos all day long. If any of y'all in my section, I'm just going to tell you right now, I'm going to do solos. I've been waiting for a voice. 
We're going to be able to worship so good up there. So that can't be the purpose of why we're here because God is saying, you can worship me better. But you know what you will never be able to do in heaven? Share the gospel. Listen, this is your only opportunity. In heaven, everybody's going to be saved. You will never be able to share the gospel again. The small, oh, I feel something is clicking. And we got to boldly share Jesus. I love Paul says we're unashamed of the gospel. That's a problem. Here's, here's the problem with that is the world will never follow a movement if the followers are unashamed, if the followers are ashamed of that movement. The world is never going to follow a movement if we're, if, we're, if we're scared. But I see something in the book of Acts that they were so unashamed of the gospel that it was a group of people who were literally willing to die for the gospel that they were sharing. Come, we, don't even just, we don't even want to be embarrassed. I don't know, they might reject me. Welcome to Christianity. I look at rejection so differently. I felt rejection this week. I wanted to complain. I learned, you can't complain to Jesus about rejection. You know what he said to me? Uh, Was there anybody at the foot of the cross when I was there? Or did everybody forsake me? Okay, all right. Well, I guess I'm going to call my wife and complain to her then. (laughs) Oh my God, they're rejecting me. Jesus is like, really? Okay, cool. Have they killed you yet? No? Okay. Just, just check in. Just check in. Look at my hands. Look at my hands. All right. You'll be okay. In fact, Jesus promised it. In this world, you'll face persecution. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And he said, they're going to reject you, but understand they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. But if anyone denies me before people, guess what? I'm going to deny you before the Father. Am I talking Bible? What do we do with that? Anyone who denies me before people, I'm going to deny you before my dad. But anyone who proclaims me before people, I'm going to proclaim you before dad. Church, this is a big deal. This is a big deal. Now, I want to end by talking about this, practicals to leading people to Jesus, because this is all great, but I don't think we get practical enough in the church. It's like, oh, that was amazing, but what in the world do I do, and where do I begin? I want to give you some practicals today to really equip us, because I want to take this serious. I don't want this to just be a message that was good for us and exciting. I I literally want us to be activated in this, and I want something to shift. Uh, Two examples. One is in Mark chapter 2, verse 13. I I wish I had time to read it. I don't. But this is the story where Jesus is, he calls Levi, who's a tax collector, to follow him. And then he says, yo, Levi, invite all your boys over, and I'm going to be over there at night. We're we're just going to kick it, right? That's what he tells Levi. And the Bible says that Levi brought all of his sinner friends, and Jesus and the disciples went, and they hung out with them together. And the religious leaders came and said, yo, why does he hang out with sinners? And listen, listen to the, Jesus' words right here. I love it. Oh, he's just a bad man. This is what he says. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The church has become like a hospital that no longer takes sick patients. Imagine that. 
a hospital that is now closed to anyone that's sick. What is this? This is just a practical. Let me give you a practical right here that if we're going to reach people, we got to actually be friends with them. Come on. Just write that down. We're going to got to make friends. Got to make some friends. Because I know there was a time in the church where the church told us, but it was not the church. It was religion said to remove ourselves from everything. But that's not the gospel. So, so Jesus hung out with sinners. Here's the first problem. We get saved and then we don't have any more sinner friends. All the people that we know are saved and sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. Like all of them, then what is, what is your assignment? We, we have to actually make friends. Can I tell you something? Now, if you have to have a season of growth, use wisdom. Not everybody is good for you, and not everybody is your assignment. Some are the devil's assignment for your destiny, okay? Let's just put that there. There are some people that you need to rearrange and adjust and all that, but you know what I've learned? God does that. I don't have control over my circle. He does. Never once have I had to say, okay, I'm going to kick them out of my circle because Jesus didn't even kick Judas out. The Lord may have sent that person in order to conform Christ in you. You learn how to keep your heart pure and watch your tongue. The Lord could be used. So I've learned I am not wise enough to control my circle. But what I have learned is the people that are toxic for me, that are not my assignment, the Lord is going to deal with it. They'll fade away. But what I want to say to you is this, is that when you get saved, don't kick all of the non-saved people out of your life. And I want to say this to you, at work and at school, please don't just sit at the Christian lunch table. Don't do that. (laughs) This is from Jesus. He's spending time with the sinners. When is the last time the church is seen like this? Where we go somewhere and a church person is surrounded by sinners. When's the last time you told a coworker, hey, I want to get together, get all your friends together, we just want to spend time together. That's where this has got to begin. Then there's this other example of this this woman at the well. And I wish we had time because I could do a whole series on it, but, but Jesus is very strategic with this conversation and dialogue and it's all about water, and he's using this, and, and, and a few points if I could point it out is that he uses something natural to point to something spiritual. So, so we got to be able to connect in their world. Don't, don't start in Romans chapter 6. Don't do that. Don't be weird like that. Don't start from the spiritual and work. Jesus never did that. He was pointing to the birds. He was pointing to the lilies, and he used the natural to point to something spiritual. So he uses something, this water, this well, He uses it as a connection point. Use the passions and the pain of people. What are your passions? Find their pain. Those are doors. Those are entry points. I'm just trying to give you practical stuff because we have to get trained in this. For the altar call today, I don't want to do a call. We do that a lot, like come, come. I want to say go. We're going to actually do a commissioning today. And we're going to pray, and we're going to actually commission. And it's going to take you saying yes to this heavenly call upon your life because you can reach people that no one in the earth can. They're your assignment. You have a ministry. Can I tell you? 
Being a host at the door and a greeter at the door is not your ministry. That's your family responsibility. If you're in the Oakley home, my sons have chores because they're sons. I got chores. And it's all from the head honcho over there. Raise your hand. She tells us exactly what we need to do, and we just do that. my wife over there, but I have to do it because I have responsibility in my home. Why? Because it's my home. Can I tell you, that's what that is here. You serve children's ministry. That's amazing, but that's because you're a son and a daughter. That isn't your ministry. But if you're a host and you're connecting with, with first-time guests and you listen to the Holy Spirit and you say, hey, man, so good to meet you today. I was wondering, are you from here? Connect, build a relationship to say, can we do lunch? That's your ministry. Or maybe you have a spiritual gift of prophetic ministry. And while you're an usher, your ministry is not the buckets. Your ministry is during worship as an usher, you say, hey, I just hear the Lord saying something over you. And I wanted to release this to you today. And everything the devil was trying to do in his life to take him down gets dismantled through the power of one prophetic word. That's ministry. Here's the assignment I have for you. If you didn't write anything down, I need you to write this down. I need you to catch this. Okay, here's the assignment for 2020. Share the gospel with at least one person per month. They may come to him. They may not. You don't know. You don't have power over that. But in 30 days, I know you have the opportunity. Share the gospel one person per month. Now, let me give you these quick tips. Here's number one, build relationships. Build relationships. If you would like, I can post these on our group me, these, these quick tips. You gotta build some relationships. Here's number two, get into their world. Don't get so much in tunnel vision caught up with your own world. Ask them about their passions. Ask them about their pain. Here's another one, three, ask people where they are in life. It's a powerful. There's people on your heart right now that you could say through a phone conversation, hey, where are you at in life right now? What's going on? You'd be surprised. They'd say, oh my God, I'm hurting so bad and I just, I feel lost and I'm just confused. That's an opportunity. Intentionally ask people, where are you at in your life right now? Number four, be unashamed of the gospel. It is the only hope in the world. Number five, live in the gospel. This thing has to flow out of your life. Wake up every morning with the reality of the gospel. Jesus, I thank you for saving me. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. And I live in this place. If you do that, I'm telling you, it'll flow out of your life. Number six, here's a good one. Are you ready? Conversations, not presentations. That's why we don't share it. We think, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to. Just have conversation. And don't do a presentation with them listening. Just talk to people. Ask about their life, their journey. Guess what's going to happen? They're going to ask you about yours. And you say, hey, here's my story. I was lost and found Jesus. And it's going to flow out of your life. And then you just maybe ask them, where are you at? Do you have you, what's, your church, what's your spiritual journey like? Just have a conversation. We're writing that down. Conversations, not presentations. Number seven. Are you ready? 
Don't be weird. It's a good tip. Just don't do it. Don't be weird. Golly, don't be religious. Don't be overly spiritual. Be normal. I made a decision. I'm going to be me. Because I can only lead anyone else out of who I authentically am. Be you, flaws and all. Here's number eight. Look for open doors and opportunities. When you see that coworker over there like this, that's a door. You go over and you say, hey, are you good? Is everything okay? You shake my hand, Kurt. You say, let's do that again. And guess what? They're going to open up. No, I'm just, that's an opportunity. Say an encouraging word. Did you know you don't have to be weird? You can prophesy without them knowing it. You don't got to say, <clears throat> thus says the Lord God Almighty from the third heaven, I had a vision. Don't do that. Just say, hey, Kirk, you know I'm, I'm a churchgoer. And just, I was praying for you the other day, and I just want to encourage you with this. I just feel like this season of your life has been hard and challenging, but God is getting Just make it simple. Who's going to reject it? Number nine, pray, pray, and pray some more. Number ten, deny self daily. We have to be outwardly focused, not inwardly focused. Can we do one last thing? And we're going to pray and dismiss. Can you get out a piece of paper or your phone? And I want you to write down at least three names of people who you might be able to partner with the Lord right now to influence them to follow Jesus. It could be a relative. It could be somebody at your job.